I feel like I need to introduce myself because I see so many new faces. I see more faces I recognize in this service than in the nine o'clock service. But I'm John Shillington. I'm one of the pastors here at North Phoenix. I've been on the staff here for almost 38 years. 30 years I was a worship pastor. And then for the last seven or eight years, I've been an associate pastor. Um, my official title right now as a semi-retired pastor is executive advisor. Some of the young guys on the staff refer to me as the OG, and I was trying to figure out what that means. Yeah, it's the old guy. And I, I wear that proudly, I have to tell you that, all right? I don't get to be over here very often because I'm usually over in the chapel. Part of my responsibility is the privilege of uh, pastoring the group that meets in the chapel for the traditional service. They're in there right now. Let's say hi to them if you would. Hey, hey all you. They, they look more like me. They're kind of older and they do more traditional music. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm afraid we're going to recruit David Toledo for that service because the way he sang that song in the garden, man, he fits right in with the traditional crowd. Um, so we're going to do that. It's always a a responsibility that I enjoy and at the same time kind of uh, struggle with to be the one bringing the message on Sunday morning. Number one, it's a great responsibility to be the one that's bringing the word. And yet I am reminded always that God's word does not return void. So regardless of the messenger, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit this morning to just speak through me and to us to our hearts, just like he did, by the way, uh, not exactly the same way, but he used John as the conduit of the message of Jesus to these churches. And his spirit will use me and the word to be a conduit of his message to each of our hearts this morning. Pastor Noe is not here. He'll be back next week to preach. And before I start, I want to do this. I did this in the first service, and I always feel like it's important for me to say this. I pray that over these next years, Pastor Noe's been here now five years, and I pray that as he's here and continues to lead us and preach, that we will not grow complacent in understanding what a gift God has given us as a pastor and a communicator. He is one of the best that I've ever heard, and that's 45 plus years of ministry and Florida, Tennessee, Oklahoma, then traveling around the country hearing a lot of great communicators, and there are some great preachers, but Pastor Noe is one of the best I've ever heard, and God has given him to us to lead us and to preach to us, and it makes it so doggone hard to be up in this place when he's so good, but uh, you know I'm not him, so we'll, we'll go with that. Now, I have to say also, um, uh, my granddaughter, Bodie, is here this morning. She's in the preschool they checked her in. It's the first time she's been in the preschool. So my son and daughter-in-law said when they asked, if Bodie gets upset, who will she want us to call? And the answer they gave him was Papa. So I may have to go at any minute. I just want you to know. Because if Bodie needs me, I'm going. I can tell you that. Now we may get a camera and follow me and I'll keep preaching. But uh, she's got me wrapped around her little finger and she is the most precious little girl she's one of eight grandchildren but right now she thinks she says that i'm her best friend so you know what can you say well let's get down to the word um i'm gonna pray and ask god to just lead us and direct us today and then we're gonna get right into what god would say to us this morning you know this uh 
This word that we're going to be sharing this morning is to the church in Smyrna. And you're going to see pretty quickly that it's a church that's, that struggles and is in persecution. As a matter of fact, it's one of only two of the seven churches that when John, when Jesus speaks to the church through John, he commends them and never condemns them. Condemns them. It's only two times in those churches. He usually to these churches has a word of commendation. Hey, you're, this is what I know about you. You're doing well. And this is what's really bothering me. And there's a word of commendation and a word of condemnation. But for Smyrna, there's no word of condemnation. The only reason I can think of is because he sees where they are, what they're going through and going to go through, and he just wants to encourage them and bless them as they get ready to go through some difficult times. And I think that what God wants to do this morning through this word for us is to encourage us and bless us. In a way, I looked at this message and I thought, man, this, this trouble, I mean, this, this church has a lot of struggle. And how do you, what do you take from that? And that's what we're going to find out as we break the bread and the word in just a moment. So let's pray. Father, this morning we just, we love you. We want to thank you for the praise and worship that we've just experienced. As we've lifted our hearts and our voices to exalt you and to be reminded that you are an incredibly awesome God. That you reign you're on your throne and you never abdicate that throne. That you have a tremendous love for us who make up your church. That you've loved us so much that you've given us your son Jesus who lived a life and suffered, was crucified on a cross cruelly, was buried, but then rose again from the grave and conquered death, and gave us victory. So through that message of hope and victory that we have in Jesus Christ, may we look at this scripture and see what you want to teach us is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I'd like to do is just kind of for a second, I want to, I want to have you look with me at the area that we're talking about. Just a little bit of background because I think it helps. Obviously, these are the seven churches right in here uh, in Asia Minor. They're the churches that Revelation is written to. And uh, this is Asia Minor, known today basically as Turkey, a uh, very strategic part of the world. And these churches are all very strategic in their own way. Well, why are, why are they so strategic? Well, one of the reasons is because um, if you go right over here, you come to Athens, Greece, and it's not it's going to stop right there. And then you go on over and you go up and you go to Italy. You go to France. You go to Spain. All of those places in Europe. And if you go east, obviously you go to the Middle East, to the Far East, to China. And in this area, all of those worlds came together. It was a melting pot. These great ports of Ephesus and Smyrna is where ships came and uh, people came from all over the world to bring goods uh, just to live. It was a beautiful part of the world at that time. And so you have a melting pot where east met west. And in the midst of that, you have these seven churches. And we heard about the church of Ephesus last week. Today, we're going to talk about the church at Smyrna. Remember, John is right over here on an island in Patmos, of Patmos. 
and he's been exiled there because of his work for the gospel, and God gives him a vision, and through him, Jesus says, I have a message to give to these churches. And he gives each church an individual message. Today, we're going to talk about Smyrna. Smyrna is a port city. You can see that it's right in this area where there's an inlet. And it's, some people say it's one of the most beautiful ports in the world. Ephes, I mean, Smyrna itself was called, it has been called, the crown city because it's so beautiful. And there's so much there. Uh, there was wealth there. Uh, remember, this is a part of the Roman Empire. So the Roman emperor is by law considered a god. And by law, you have to worship him. So in this city of Smyrna, there was a competition with Smyrna and six other cities over which city would become the key city for the imperial cult. The imperial cult, obviously, were the people who worshipped the emperor and they, they sacrificed to him. And they did all of the kind of pagan worship to that man who was considered a god. And this was the center for that in this whole area. And so it was very important. There was a huge temple built to the emperor. And over the years, there would be new temples built in honor of the new emperors that came from Rome. Smyrna was that kind of a city. It was also obviously because it was so influential in the Roman Empire. There were, just like in Ephesus, a number of uh, temples to gods. Uh, Zeus, uh, Sibylle, Aphrodite, other gods had temples there. It was a temple with a huge stadium, uh, a huge theater. It was quite the city, and it was the crown city, a beautiful city. And in the midst of that city is a church that has been, become known throughout history as the suffering church. Some people have called it the martyred church. Isn't that amazing? Contrast that. Smyrna, the crown city. Now, the, the word Smyrna actually is connected to the word for myrrh. Myrrh, of course, is a perfume. The, the three kings brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus. And myrrh is a perfume that's used to anoint the body, both of the living, but especially of the dead. And it actually is a spice, a perfume, that's been connected mostly with anointing the dead. So you have, it's called the suffering perfume. So you have this church at Smyrna, and this idea of suffering, and even death, and in contrast to the crown city, this beautiful city. Well, why and how? Can a church in such a beautiful city be in such a difficult situation? Well, you want me to tell you how? I was thinking of it while we were singing. Don't you love that song, Let Your Worship Turn to Revival? Amen. You sang it really well. Do you know what that means? Do you know what it means? If your worship and my worship turns to revival, do you know what that means? It means we quit just singing about it and live it. It means we quit talking about it and do it. It means where there's injustice, we bring godly justice. It means that uh, we share the word. You know, revi when revival happens, people come to Jesus in droves. And you know why? Because the believers are so excited about Jesus, they share him with everyone. And people get so excited about who he is and the change he can make in their life that they run to him and revival takes place. But not only that, if you're in an illicit relationship 
and you're singing that song and living those words out, if you want it to turn to revival, then that relationship becomes sinful in your eyes. If you're living your life in a way that doesn't honor God and your worship becomes revival, your life changes and the Spirit of God convicts you and I. So, that's where we're going to be in Smyrna. Let's look at the scripture. I'm going to, you can open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And I'm going to kind of take it verse by verse and then make some application and we'll ask God to, to do his work in our lives. As this passage of scripture begins, it begins just like the other introduction to the churches, like Ephesus last week and like the churches in the next weeks. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the angel, remember Pastor Noe reminded us that the angel is more than likely the leader, the messenger, the pastor or bishop of that church. So to that person, to the leader of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So that's his introduction to the church. Why is it important that we see that introduction. It's because we're talking about a church that we already have seen is going to be called the suffering church, the persecuted church, the church that's going through tribulation. And the first thing that Jesus wants to say to them is, you know, before time ever was, I was. Before anything was ever created, I was there. John in his gospel says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he's talking about Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And Jesus is saying, I am the first before anything. I was there. And I am the last when it's all said and done. When everything ends, I will be there, and I will be victorious, and I will reign and you can trust in that. So what he's saying, as he says, I'm the first and the last, the one who died and came to life, he's saying, listen, I am the son of God. I've been here since before the beginning of time. I'll be here when time ends. And I'm the one who died on the cross for your sin. And I'm the one who was raised from the grave because I love you. And I have given all of us victory over the grave and death. And I am the one who is about to say to you, I see you. I'm with you. So he's, he wants the church at Smyrna and you and I to understand that nothing that we go through in life, none of our difficulty, our struggle, our tribulation, goes unnoticed by God and is outside of his purpose in the world. Do you understand that? When Romans 8 says all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, it's what it's saying, if you read the next verse, is you're going to go through stuff in your life and everything you face, I'm going to use it in a way to help you become more like Jesus. And so when all is said and done, as you live your life and as you persevere through that life, you're going to become more like Jesus. And that's my goal for you. That's what I desire for you. So he's saying nothing that you're about to go through or are going through is outside of the purpose of God. You can rest in the fact we haven't gone anywhere. We haven't abdicated the throne. We're here. God is here. 
right? So then we go on to the next part of the verse. And he says, that Jesus says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. But then, interesting, he stops and says, but you are rich. Don't miss that little parenthetical statement. I know that you're going through tribulation. And by the way, it's not the great tribulation that, we'll, that we study later in Revelation. They're going through some stuff. They're going through some struggles. And we'll talk about why and how in just a moment. But he says, I, I know that. It's not caught me by surprise. And I know your tribulation and your poverty. I think one of the interesting things to remember is that in Christian churches at this time, especially those churches under the Roman Empire leadership, if you were wealthy and you became a follower of Jesus Christ, there's every probability that your property, your wealth, everything you have would be confiscated by the Roman Empire, by the government, and you would be left penniless, and you would be impoverished. Well, you know, in, in Acts chapter 2, where Paul says to that early church, this is the way you ought to live. Help each other. Share with each other. All of the things that he says, it's because most of the early church was made up of people who were very poor. And in Smyrna, in the midst of all of this wealth and beauty, was a bunch of people who were probably slaves, ex-slaves, freed slaves, runaway slaves, people who had property and wealth and had it confiscated, taken away, and they were poor. But Jesus says, however, but you are rich. Why would they be rich? If this was a class and you could raise your hand, you probably would say, I know, because they knew Jesus. Because they had Jesus in their life. Because he was their savior and their leader and their guide. And that's why they're rich. And he wants them to know that. Now, a little bit later, and I think it's to the church in Laodicea, but I can't remember right now. He says, you all brag about how rich you are, and yet I look at you and say, no way. So it's not like he says this to every church. He specifically says to the church at Smyrna, in the midst of your tribulation and poverty, you're so rich. Now get a hold of that if you would. Because there's going to be times in our lives when we feel so impoverished spiritually and physically. And when we can hear God say to us and speak to our hearts and say, I know you, you're mine. And everything that's going, going on in your life is a part of my plan. So don't despair. And then he says, and the slander of those that say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, not only because of the imperial cult that was in Smyrna, obviously there was a lot of hatred for believers from that group of people who worshipped the emperor. They couldn't condone the Christians. But there were also Jews, some of whom said they were Jews because they'd been circumcised. So I'm a Jew. And so they were Jews outwardly. But in Romans chapter 2, Paul teaches that after Jesus came, being a true Jew means that you were circumcised inwardly of the heart. And the change that needed to take place in Jesus was in the heart. 
So there were Jews who considered themselves Jews but weren't. There were Judaizers who were Jews that had come to Jesus but then kind of slipped back and said, you know what, I, I kind of like what Jesus did and says, but that's not enough. You got you to gotta, uh, be circumcised. You got to go through, you got to practice this practice that we had in the Old Testament. You got to do this or this. And you keep doing all of that together, including Jesus, and maybe kind of that works. And they were Judaizers and they were not true followers of Christ. And the realization of that time was those people just hated the true believers. They couldn't abide them. Probably made them feel guilty to watch someone live for Jesus knowing that that's kind of what I said I would do is hard. So they, they wreaked havoc on the Christians of that day. John, Jesus through John says they're a synagogue of Satan. He made it very clear. This is not a synagogue where people go to worship God. It's a synagogue where Satan's works are what ends up happening. And in the next verse, we see, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So, do not fear. The song we sang said, do, never fear, never fear. God is here. God is here. Did you sing that this morning? Did it mean that to you? I don't ever have to fear because God is here. Now, obviously, in times we, we have fearful moments and struggles, but God is here. And by the way, let me just say, as we read these verses, I think if we're not careful, what we say is, man, you know, that's pretty tough on the church at Smyrna and for those believers right around in that time, but I'm glad we don't have to go through that today. Well, don't be so sure. I mean, first of all, there are churches going through this kind of persecution today in other parts of the world just exactly like this, if not worse. But the other thing I would tell you is if you don't think that can happen in this country, look around. Because there are people today that are starting to try to tell you as a believer and us as a church what we can and can't do and believe. And I promise you, if you don't think that we can come under some tribulation and struggle as followers of Christ, I'm not a prophet, but I see things today that I haven't seen in my lifetime that indicate to me, look, all is not well. But here's the deal. Whatever happens, God is here. God is here right? And God is here, and we follow him. So, you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. Here's a truth that he wants us to understand, the devil. See, most of the time, the difficulty we have come from circumstances, oftentimes from something someone does or says, a person or an organization, and we go through tough times. But what Jesus wants this church to understand is it's the devil that's causing all of this. See, ever since Adam and Eve fell in Genesis and sin entered the world, this world has been broken and it's broken today. And that brokenness leads to all the stuff that we have to deal with in our lives, in our culture. And it's, we can blame it on somebody or some place, but the truth is the enemy is working in us and around us to try to get us to be distracted and to walk away from Jesus. And he's the one 
that you need to understand whenever you're going through difficulty, he's the one that's bringing that difficulty about. He's the author of all that evil. And he, and I think Jesus wants to make sure we know that. And he's about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. What does that mean? Yeah, 10 days, anybody can, every, anybody can do something for 10 days, right? Well, probably what he's saying here is it's not going to be from this day to this day, 10 days. But what I want you to understand that whatever he does and whatever you go through, there is a beginning and an end to it. You don't have to worry about spending your entire life in eternity in suffer, suffering and struggle and tribulation. There is a beginning and there is an end. Unless you don't know Jesus. And then there is an eternal suffering when we're separated from him for eternity. And that's a whole other part of the sermon. But he wants us to know, look, there, there are going to be seasons when you're going to go through struggles. Some scholars say this, and it's interesting when you look at it. From the year 95 AD, which is when this letter, about that, that time was when this letter was written, until 361 AD, there were 10 intense periods of suffering and persecution on the church under 10 different Roman emperors. And that ended when Constantine became the emperor and he issued an edict of tolerance or something like that that said, you know, we ought to abide and tolerate the believers. But during that time, 10 intense periods of affliction and suffering some people say that over 5 million Christians were martyred for what they believed. One of the most famous martyrs was Polycarp. Some of you have studied about him. But Polycarp was the leader of this church. About 60 years after this letter was written, in 155 AD, Polycarp was taken into custody and they demanded that he worship the emperor, Marcus Aurelius, at that time, they wanted him to burn incense to him and worship him, and he refused, and refused joyfully, knowing that he was being tested, and, and, and did that joyfully because of his love for Jesus Christ. They took him into the stadium that was in Smyrna. They tied him to a stake, and they lit him on fire. And history says that when the fire went out, he was still alive. So then they came at him with knives and stabbed him repeatedly until he died. And what history writes is that Polycarp went to his death with joy in knowing that he was a child of the king and that his suffering would end and he would spend eternity with him. So this is very real, I just want you to know. But Jesus says, some of this is going to take place, y'all. Be faithful unto death, even unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So what is that crown of life? Well, it's mentioned in several different places. Um, what the scripture teaches is that for those people, there are crowns that are given as rewards for people when they go to be with Jesus in eternity. And one of those is the crown of life, which is an especial reward for people who live through suffering and persecution and stay faithful and persevere through that suffering and persecution. And the reward that is for them when they go to be with the Lord 
is a crown of life. Now, some people look at you and say, I don't really know if I care about a crown of life. Well, you will. Because I promise you, when the King of Kings and the Savior of the world looks at you and says, my brother, my sister, I've got something for you because of who you were and how you lived and what you persevered through. And it's a crown of life. And I'll tell you what, that's going to be pretty powerful. Right? Yeah. So, um, as we continue through the scripture, as that passage of scripture comes to an end, Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. What did, what did Paul say to us in Romans? If God be for us, for we are more than... So as we live in Jesus Christ and as he lives through us and we face whatever struggles and tribulation and trials we face, as we conquer those things, as we live faithfully for Jesus, we know that our reward is going to be life with Jesus and eternal reward. But here's the thing, you know, and I can, I can say this. As a 71-year-old, one of the benefits of preaching a message like this is I can look back over 53 years of being a believer. I, I came to Christ when I was 18. And I can say that through any situation Patty and I and our family have ever been through, anything I've ever been through in my own life that's been difficult and, and, and where I've made bad decisions and struggled and there was suffering and pain and tribulation, maybe not exactly like this, but it was real in my life and in our life, God has been so faithful. And he's true to his word. And for those of us who persevere, he promises not only eternal life, but that assurance of knowing I'm a child of the king who loves him, who will live for him, will stay strong for him, and be who he wants me to be, even unto death. And I've got to tell you, there's a peace and a courage and a strength that comes from that that um, I don't think you can understand unless you're a follower of Christ. So let's look real quickly. There's some things we need to take away from this, and I'm going to wrap this up. Number one, we need to know it's inevitable. Struggle is going to come in life. Book it. I don't care who you are. Now, I don't know what it's going to look like for you. For Patty and I, it looked like early in our marriage, she might die of melanoma, but she didn't. And so that's a praise. Um, for us, it was um, losing loved ones to cancer and some other issues. For us, it was our son being nearly killed in an accident and struggling through that recuperation and wondering how he's going to be and if he's ever going to be who he was before the accident. And those are the kinds of things that you go through in life. And I think those of you who are here, many of you have had those kind of experiences and more. And some of you are going through things right now. Struggle is going to be inevitable in our life. But here's what you need to know. The second thing that I want us to hear is God, Jesus, sees you. Now today in this culture, I hear all the time, don't, 
does anybody see me? Does anybody really see me? Do they see who I am? What's going on? Do they really see me? I want somebody to see me. Listen, Jesus sees you. I promise you, Jesus sees you. He promises that he knows your tribulation and your struggle. Jesus sees us. God sees us. That's what the song said. That's the truth. He sees us and he is here. The next thing I would share, right out of John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus has overcome the world. As he was about to die, he spoke at length to his disciples, and at the end of that sermon or speech, often talking with them about some of the things they were going to face in the days ahead, he said, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now listen, take that to heart, because sometimes the world looks like it's going to just kill you. And whatever happens, Jesus has overcome the world. And the other thing that he says, that he will never leave or forsake us. He says that in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission. He gives them the Great Commission, and then he says, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age, the end of the world. I'll never leave you. He says it in Hebrews chapter 13. I will never leave you. Or forsake you. And I think if you read that scripture, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Listen, what can man do to me? What can man do to me? God never leaves me, never forsakes me. And then the last thing I would say is our perseverance and faithfulness will be rewarded. We've already talked about that. You can bank on the fact that when God sees you, he's with you, he knows you, and in your difficulty, he will give you reward. And that's worth living for. But you know what's really important to know as we come to the end of this morning's message? All of that, everything we've talked about, is contingent upon Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, and if I don't know Jesus, none of this matters. Because it's only in Jesus that all of these things are true. It's only in Jesus Christ that we have life, that we have peace, that we have purpose, only in Jesus the great preacher D.L. Moody once said, he who is born once will die twice, but he who is born twice will only die once. Now, that goes back to Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and Jesus said, you must be born again to enter my kingdom. And Nicodemus said, well, how can a man be born twice? And Jesus said, well, you have to be born once of water, physically, but then you have to be born once of the Spirit. You have to be born spiritually. And then you, can be, you are born again. So when D.L. Moody said that, unless you not only have been born and are alive, but you've said, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus. 
I'm going to give my life to him because God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He will have victory during this life. He will have ultimate victory and won't go through the separation that is eternal from, from God because of Jesus Christ. So as we come to a close, I have one invitation for this morning. Do you know him? Now, I guess you could say a secondary invitation is, are you living like you want your worship to become revival? Or are you going through the motions? And I have a feeling there are some of us here who that's the case. We just, we come to church, we go through the motions. But the real question is, do you know Jesus Christ? So I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would. Our worship team is going to come on stage. And I believe they're going to reprise the song that reminds us that we are not alone. They're going to remind us that he walks with me and talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Now listen, anyone who's a follower of Christ can sing that song and it's true. See, when it says, um, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. He's not saying that if I know that, you can't. What he's saying is, if you know me, like you need to know me, then when you and I walk together and we go through the garden because of difficulty and we spend that time together, I'm talking to you and walking with you like you're the only one in the world because that's what you are to me. He loves me that much, and he loves you that much, and he loves you that much. That's how Jesus loves, and the joy we share as we tarry there, it feels like nobody else could understand that because they can't the way he loves me. You can understand it the way he loves you. So this morning, I'm gonna ask our pastors to be here. I'm just going to ask the Spirit of God to move however He needs to move in this moment. And if you want to talk to someone, if you want to say, hey, I don't know Jesus, and I want somebody to help me know what it means to know Jesus, you may want to say, I'm not walking with Him the way I need to, and I need prayer, and I need encouragement, I need support. Then I'm going to ask you to come and take a pastor's hand. Some of you may want to just come to the altar and pray and say, I don't want to be alone. I want God to be with me. Whatever God is speaking to your heart this morning, let him have his way as we sing and as we share in this moment. Let me pray. Father, whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, get us out of the way. If that still small voice is prompting us, saying, you need to do this for me. May we be strong enough. May we have the courage to do that. Remind us of who you are and how much you love us. And let us respond to that love in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.